ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with kitab at-tahara bab nawaqid al-wudu the chapter concerning the nullifiers of the wudu all those affairs that break the wudu of a person. The next hadith is the hadith of Aisha, radiyallahu anha, anna al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qabbala ba'da nisaihi, thumma kharaja ila salah, wa lam yatawadda, akhrajahu Ahmed, wa da'afahu al-Bukhari. In this hadith of Aisha, radiyallahu anha, she says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kissed one of his wives, and then he left to the prayer, and he didn't make wudu that he kissed one of his wives, and in some narrations it says that it was Aisha radiallahu anha herself. And then after doing that, after kissing one of his wives, he left to go and pray, and he didn't make wudu again. That's what the hadith it mentions. And this hadith is in the musnad of Imam Ahmad. However, Imam al-Bukhari takes the opinion that this hadith is weak. And there are some other scholars who take the opinion that this particular hadith is weak. Because of some of the narrators within it, uh, Ibn Abi Thabit, who narrates from Urwa ibn Zubair, they say that Ibn Abi Thabit did not hear any hadith from Urwa ibn Zubair. So they say that's a weakness in the hadith. Similarly, they say that the person who narrated it from Aisha radiallahu anha was not Urwa ibn Zubair, but actually it was Urwa al-Juhani. And that individual is majhul. So for certain reasons, some of the scholars have said that this particular hadith is weak. But other scholars, they say that there are other chains of narration which would therefore indicate that this hadith can be used as an evidence. The hadith in of itself indicates that touching a woman does not break the wudu. That it is not from the nullifiers of the wudu. That's what the hadith seems to indicate. However, the ayah in the Quran, Surah Al-Ma'idah, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ وَامْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَاءُ عَلَى سَفَرٍ أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنكُم مِّنَ الْغَائِطِ أَوْ لَامَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً فَتَيَمَّمُوا صَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا In this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that O oh, you who believe if you, are, if you stand for the prayer then wash your faces and your hands up to the elbows your arms up to the elbows and wipe over your heads and wash your feet. And if you are in a state of ritual impurity, the janaba, then purify yourselves. Make the ghusl. And if you are ill or ala safar, or you are upon some journey, or if you have to use the toilet, the call of nature, or you touch the women, فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً And you can't find any water. فَتَيَمَّمُوا سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا Then you must make the wudu. So one of the factors which the ayah mentions that you must make wudu from is أَوْ لَا النِّسَاءِ If you touch the women. 
So the ayah seems to indicate that if you touch a woman, it breaks your wudu. Because the ayah says, if you do that, you have to make tayammum. If you don't find water, if you find water, obviously, then wudu. So the hadith that we have here indicates that touching a woman, kissing a woman, doesn't break your wudu. But the ayah seems to indicate that it does break your wudu. Then what we can say about this issue is that the ayah says, if you make the mulamasa, la mastumun nisa, that in its origin refers to contact with the hand. Touching with the hand. This is the origin of the affair. And in fact, there is one recitation of this ayah, which is blatant and clear that it is touching with the hand. So the ayah indicates that if you were to touch a woman, that it breaks the wudu, it is from the nullifiers of the wudu. Because that is something that Allah mentioned alongside the call of nature. And clearly the call of nature, it is from the nullifiers of the wudu. If a person has to use the toilet, then his wudu is nullified, it is broken. Allah mentioned that, and right next to it, touching women. Two things together, that they are from the nullifiers of the wudu. But like we said, the hadith seems to indicate the opposite. Based upon that, the scholars, they differed about this issue. About the contact with a woman, if it breaks your wudu or not. The first opinion is أن لمس المرأة ينقض الوضوء مطلقا سواء لشهوة أو لغير شهوة القول الأول the first opinion is that touching a woman the contact with a woman it breaks the wudu it is from the nullifiers of the wudu whether that contact was based upon desire or if it was based upon a lack of desire whether the contact was done with desire or no desire. If you can't make contact with a woman, then the wudu is nullified. For whatever purpose, whether it is with desire or without desire, contact occurs, the wudu is nullified. That is one opinion. And some of the scholars, they took this opinion, the likes of Imam Shafi'i and some of the other scholars. As for the hadith, then many of them, they gave the opinion that this hadith is weak because of some of the reasons that we already mentioned. So they said the hadith is weak and the ayah, ayah of the Qur'an, tells you that the touching of the women is something which requires you to have to renew your purification, to have to renew your wudu or tayammum if you don't find water. So they said the ayah is clear. As for the hadith, they said it is weak. So therefore, one opinion of a group of the scholars is that touching a woman, contact with a woman whether it is with desire or no desire, it, compl- it nullifies the wudu and it breaks the wudu. The second opinion, أَنَّ لَمْسَ الْمَرْأَةِ لَا يَنْقَضُ الْوُدُوْ مُطْلَقًا سَوَاءً كَانَ لِشَهْوَةً أَوْ لِغَارِ شَهْوَةً The second opinion is that touching a woman, touching a woman, kissing a woman, obviously this is not intercourse, we're not talking about that. Touching a woman, touching the hand or kissing the face, that type of contact. Here, the second opinion is that if this type of contact occurs, kissing or touching the hands or other areas of the face or whatever it may be, this type of contact, it does not break your wudu. It does not nullify your wudu. And that is a group of scholars who gave this opinion from amongst them, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa. He said, if you were to make contact with a woman in this way, kissing or touching with the hand, 
It doesn't break your wudu Whether it was with desire or no desire Even if it was with desire or no desire It doesn't break your wudu That is the opinion of some of the scholars But if that is their opinion Then what do they say about the ayah? The ayah says if you have contact If you touch the woman It breaks your wudu You need to make your wudu You need to make the tayammum If you don't find uh, water How do they answer to that? They say that the ayah It means intercourse They say the meaning of the ayah is intercourse If you make intercourse And you have intercourse Then of course you need to renew your purification They say that's how you combine the evidences That the hadith indicates Touching a woman does not break your wudu The ayah The meaning of that is Touching a woman in intercourse That's what breaks your wudu So in that way they combine the evidences However there is a third opinion also which says anna lamsa al-mar'ati in kana li shahwa naqada al-wudu if the touching of a woman kissing or with the hand it is done upon desire you do it with desire then it breaks the wudu it is a nullifier of the wudu because an individual who touches with desire then that is opening up the possibility to the exit of liquids from an individual. It may open up that possibility. The exiting of liquids may occur. So due to the touching being done with desire, that possibility is opened up. And therefore, the third opinion is that if the contact is made, the touching, the kissing, it is done with desire, then that breaks your wudu, that is a nullifier of the wudu. But, if it is touching or kissing without any desire, there is no desire associated to that particular contact. There is no desire associated to that particular kiss. Then, in that case, they say, it does not nullify your wudu. So they say, the hadith, when the Prophet ﷺ kissed Aisha radiallahu anha, or one of his, one of his wives, and then left to the masjid and didn't make wudu again. They said, therefore, in that instance, the Prophet ﷺ had kissed one of, his, one of his wives, but without any desire. They say, look at the situation, the context. The Prophet ﷺ was just about to leave his home to go to the masjid. He was on his way out. He was about to leave to go to the masjid. Is that a time for desire? Is that a time for desire? Of course it is not. That is a casual thing you may do from goodness and love to your wife. That you leave your home and you give your wife a kiss as you leave. It is a casual and normal thing to do. That is from the goodness between a husband and a wife. There is no desire associated to that. A kiss as you leave your home, as you exit from your home. So here they say this is what happened. The Prophet ﷺ, it was a casual kiss, which is from the goodness of the relations between a husband and a wife, as he was leaving the home. There was no desire associated to that kiss. So they say that's why the Prophet ﷺ didn't have to make the wudu again. So they say that is the principle. If it is done casually as an act of goodness between the husband and the wife, there is no desire associated to that touch or that contact or that kiss. Then in that case it doesn't break your wudu. But if it was done in a way where there was desire behind it, then in that case it is from the nullifiers of the wudu. And that's why they say the ayah, how do they answer to the ayah or what do they give? In the explanation of the ayah rather. That is the better way to phrase it. What do they give in terms of the explanation of the ayah? 
They say the ayah is referring to contact or touching if it is done with desire. They say the ayah, yes, it says you must make wudu again, you must make tayammum if you don't find water. But only if that touching was with desire. So they say the ayah indicates the touching with the desire, which means you must make your purification again. But the hadith indicates that this touching was done, this kissing was done without desire. And that's why the Prophet didn't have to make his wudu. And that is the conclusion they give as the third statement and the third opinion. The Shaykh says here now, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, فَالْحَدِيثِ لَيْسَ فِيهِ أَنَّهُ قَبَّلَ لِشَهْوَ The hadith doesn't tell you or indicate to you in any way that there was desire when the Prophet ﷺ kissed his wife. وَالْآيَ فِيهَا أَنَّ اللَّمْسِ يَنْقُضُ الْوُضُوْ فَيُحْمَلُ عَلَى مَا إِذَا كَانَ لِشَهْوَ But the ayah indicates that your wudu breaks if you touch. But then the meaning of it is, if it is with desire. So that is the third opinion on this issue. If it is with desire, it nullifies the wudu. If it is not, it is a casual kiss as you are leaving the home from the goodness of the relations between the husband and the wife, then that doesn't break your wudu. After that, the shaykh says, وَكَذَلِكَ الشَّأْنُ فِي لَمْسِ الْمَرْأَةِ لِأَنَّهُ إِذَا كَانَ لَمْسُ لِشَهْوَةٍ فَهُوَ مَظَنَّ خُرُوجِ الْخَارِجِ فَلِذَلِكَ أُمِرَ بِالْوُضُوءِ وَهَذَا الْقَوْلُ هُوَ مَذْهَبُ أَحْمَدُ وَمَالِكِ This third opinion is the opinion of the likes of Imam Ahmed and the likes of Imam Malik. وَبِهِ تَجْتَمِعُ الْأَدِلَّةُ الَّتِي تَنْفِي وَالْأَدِلَّةُ الَّتِي تَثْبُتْ And in this third opinion, all of the evidences are put together. The evidences that indicate touching breaks your wudu, like the ayah, and the evidences that indicate that it doesn't break your wudu, like the hadith, they can all be combined. We can say that the ayah is referring to touching with desire, and therefore it does break your wudu, and the hadith is an incident where that kissing occurred without any desire, and therefore that didn't break the wudu. And the shaykh says, وَهَذَا أَعْدَلُ الْأَقْوَالِ this is the most just of the opinions. This is the most just of the statements. insha'Allah, And that is the strongest opinion, insha'Allah. That if it is done with desire, it nullifies. But if it was a casual thing without desire, then it does not nullify. That touching of kissing, etc. Also the Shaykh says then, وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ أَيْضًا مَا أَشَرْنَا إِلَيْهِ مِنْ أَنَّهُ يُشْرَعُ لِلزَّوْجِ حُسْنُ الْعُشْرَةِ مَعَ الزَّوْجَةِ this hadith also indicates that it is befitting and it is legislated for a husband to have good relations with his family, to have good relations with them and to have goodness and kindness towards his family in following the footsteps of the Prophet ﷺ, that he had these good relations, that he would uh, kiss his wives, etc. And the Prophet ﷺ did this from kindness and goodness in relations to his family and his wife. And so that the wife would be pleased with that too. It would make the wife happy that the husband kisses his wife. فَلَا يَكُونُ الْإِنسَانُ جَافِيًا مَعَ زَوْجَتِهِ وَمَعْرَضًا عَنْهَا فَإِنَّ هَذَا مِنْ سُوءِ الْعِشْرَةِ So a person should not be harsh or cold towards his wife. An individual, a husband should not be cold and harsh and hard towards his wife, rather it is from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ that an individual behaves in a good manner with relations and nice relations and the example of the Prophet ﷺ where he kissed his wives etc. After that the next hadith, وَعَنَبِهُ رَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ 
قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا وجد أحدكم في بطنه شيئا فأشكل عليه أخرج منه شيء أم لا فلا يخرجن من المسجد حتى يسمع صوتا أو يجد ريحا أخرجه مسلم In this hadith Abu Huraira narrates that the Prophet said if one of you finds something in his stomach you feel something in your stomach i.e. wind you feel wind in your stomach so you become confused by it did any of that wind come out or not? did he break wind or not? you become confused because you can feel it in your stomach and you don't recognize or you don't realize did some of that come out or not? Did I break wind or not? Then in that instance, the hadith says, فَلَا يَخْرُجَنَّ مِنَ الْمَسْجِدِ Then you don't leave the masjid until you actually hear a sound, the sound of the breaking of the wind, or you smell a smell, which are the signs that would indicate to you that wind has been broken. If you smelt a smell or you heard a sound. So what does this hadith mean then? In this hadith then, if a person finds or feels in his stomach gases or wind, he feels these gases within his stomach, he feels the wind in his stomach, and then he doesn't know, did some of that exit or not? Then the Prophet ﷺ said, do not leave the masjid, meaning don't break your prayer and go. Don't think your wudu has been broken. If you feel something and you can feel the gases in your stomach, and you think maybe something exited from you. You think you broke wind, but you don't know, you're confused. In that instance, the Prophet ﷺ said, don't leave your prayer. Your wudu is not broken. Or for example, if you were sitting in the masjid waiting for the prayer, then don't get up and leave. Your wudu hasn't broken. Until you are certain that the wind has broken. بِحُصُولِ الْعَلَامَةِ الدَّالَ عَلَى خُرُوجِ شَيْءٍ مِنْهُ بِسَمَاعِ صَوْتِهِ أَوْ وُجُودِ رِيحِهِ You do not base your actions upon doubt. If you are doubtful, you're not sure, you're confused. Did I break wind or not? You could feel it in your stomach and you think maybe some of it exited. But you don't know. In that instance, the Prophet ﷺ says here, the wudu is not broken until you are certain. How are you going to be certain? If you hear a sound, for example. If you hear the sound of the wind breaking, then you know you have broken wind, you heard the sound of it. Or if you smell a smell, then you recognize once again that you have broken wind. In that instance, you are certain now. But without that certainty, then you do not leave. Here the Shaykh says, with regards to this hadith then, This hadith tells you about a very important principle from the principles of fiqh. Which is that certainty cannot be removed by doubt. Certainty cannot be removed by doubt. That is a principle. Remember that. Certainty cannot be removed with doubt. What does that mean? فَمَنْ تَيَقَّنَ الطَّهَارَ وَشَكَّ فِي الْحَدَثِ فَإِنَّ الْأَصْلَ بَقَاءُ الطَّهَارَ وَلَا يَلْتَفِتُ إِلَى الشَّكِّ فَلَوْ أَنَّ إِنْسَانًا تَوَضَّأَ ثُمَّ شَكَّ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ هَلْ نَقَضَ وُضُوءُهُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ وَلَا فَإِنَّهُ يَبْنِي عَلَى الْيَقِينِ وَهُوَ أَنَّهُ مُتَوَضِّئِ Meaning, 
If a person makes wudu, he makes wudu and he finishes his wudu and he knows with certainty he's made wudu now. Later on, he forgets. He thinks to himself, I remember making wudu at dhuhr time and now it's asr time, but did I break my wudu in the middle of the day in the afternoon or not? He's doubtful, he can't remember. He can't remember whether he broke his wudu or not. He knows for definite he made wudu at dhuhr time and he prayed dhuhr. He remembers that. For definite he made wudu and he prayed dhuhr. After that he can't remember. 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, he can't remember. Did I break my wudu or not? And now the time for asr is here. What shall I do? Shall I make wudu again or can I pray? In this instance the shaykh says, what, what is he certain about? He is certain that he made wudu at dhuhr time. After that, what is he doubtful about? Did the wudu break or not? So you have certainty that he made wudu and you have doubt did it break or not. That doubt cannot override the certainty. So in that instance, if he's doubtful, then he bases his actions upon the certainty and therefore his wudu remains. He has wudu. If he's doubtful, that doubt is not something which overcomes the certainty. He knows for definite he made wudu. After that, he can't remember if he broke it. In that case, that doubt is not enough to have broken his wudu with. The certainty remains. Take it the other way around. Somebody, for example, knows that uh, after Dhuhr prayer, they know for certain after Dhuhr prayer they went to the toilet. They remember for definite, it was after Dhuhr I went to the toilet. For definite they know that. Then it comes to the time of Asr. They think to themselves, I know I definitely went to the toilet after Dhuhr. So my wudu was obviously broken at that point, after Dhuhr. But I can't remember if I made wudu after that or not. I can't remember if I made wudu or not. Now is the time for Asr. Now what do we say to him? Which one is the certainty? The certainty is that he... He went to the toilet. The doubt is, he made wudu or not. He can't remember. Did I make wudu after that or not? So in this instance, he bases it still upon the certainty, which this time is that he doesn't have wudu. The certainty is he went to the toilet, and the doubt is, did I make wudu? So now you have to base it upon the certainty. The certainty is he went to the toilet and he didn't have wudu, therefore. So now he must make wudu. So every time you base it upon certainty. And the doubt does not remove the certainty. So that's why here it says if you have some wind in you or some gas in you and then you doubt. Have I just broken wind or not? You have some doubt. If you do not smell the smell or hear the sound, then that is no certainty. You do not have certainty that you have broken wind. So in that instance, you do not uh, consider that your wudu has broken. فَهَذِهِ قَاعِدَ عَظِيمًا تُرِيحُ الْمُسْلِمِ مِنْ مِنَ الْوَسَاوِسِ وَمِنَ الشُّكُوكِ وَالَّذِي يَحْصُلُ لِلْمُسْوَسِينَ مِنْ تَسَلُّطِ الشَّيْطَانِ عَلَيْهِمْ فَإِذَا عَمِلَ بِهَا الْمُسْلِمِ اطْمَأَنَّ وَاسْتَرَاحَةٌ This the Sheikh says will help a lot of people who have a lot of whispers. Many people they have many whispers. So they made wudu and they know they made wudu, but then afterwards they get whispers. But am I sure? Did I definitely make wudu? I think I need to go do it again. Or 10 minutes ago they go make wudu and they come back and they start doubting. Have I just broken wind or not? All of these whispers that come to the people, these whispers, if you base your actions upon certainty, you get rid of them. 
If you know for certain that I made wudu, but you doubt, have I broken it? Forget about the doubt. Your certainty is the wudu. If you're certain you broke your wudu, but you can't remember if you made it again afterwards or not, then forget about the doubt. You are upon a state of non-wudu. Because you're certain upon that. So this gets rid of the whispers of the shaytan. المسألة الثانية وهي التي ساق المؤلف الحديث من أجلها في نواقد الوضوء حيث دل على أن خروج الريح ناقض من نواقض الوضوء إذا تيقنه وعلمه لقوله صلى الله عليه وسلم حتى يسمع صوتا ويجد ريحا يعني إذا خرج منه شيء يقينا من الريح فإنه ينصرف ويتوضأ So if a person is certain that some wind has broken from him then that means he must if he's certain he hears a sound, he smells a smell, maybe he feels it, he's certain. Then in that case he has to make wudu. So therefore it indicates that the breaking of wind is a nullifier of the wudu. The breaking of the wind, somebody breaks wind, that is a nullifier from the nullifiers of wudu. Al-mas'ala al-thalitha, fi al-hadith dalilun ala anna man dakhala fi salati fa innahu yukmiluha, sawa'an kanat farida aw nafila, wa la yaqta'uha illa li sababin yaqtadhi thalika. إما لانتقاض وضوئه وإما لأجل إنقاذ معصوم من هلك كأن يرى أعمى أقبل على بئر أو حفر وخشي عليه أن يسقط فيها ويهلك أو على نار أمامه فإذا رأى إنسانا وشك أن أن يقع في في الخطر فإنه يقطع الصلاة وينقذه من الخطر فمثلا نعم okay here another sheikh says another point to mention is the hadith says if you think you've broken wind, then do not leave the prayer and go. So the shaykh says one of the benefits to be derived from that is that it is not permissible to leave the prayer. If you start praying, whether it's obligatory or uh, if it is uh, an optional prayer, then you don't just break it in the middle and go off. It is not permissible just to break the prayer in the middle and to go off for no reason. If you had a legitimate reason, then you can for example, if you had certainty you broke wind, then you can leave and go make wudu. Or other reasons, for example, if you needed to help someone to save them. For example, the sheikh gives uh, an example of it. He says, if you were praying, and then you see in front of you, in front of you where you are praying, there is for example a fire or a well and there's a blind person coming along. And he's getting closer and closer to this well, this big hole in the ground. And you're praying, and you can see this happening in front of you. In the corner of your eye, you see this happening. Then in that case, you can break your prayer and go and stop him. Because if you don't, this blind person is going to fall into the well and die. So if you see someone is about to go into harm, he's about to go into harm, he might die. Uh, you're praying, for example, and somebody has a seizure. He has a fit, for example, or a seizure in the middle of the prayer next to you. Of course you can break the prayer to help him. You see someone, uh, some fire is occurring, a fire starts somewhere. Of course you can break the prayer to go and help them. In an instance where you are going to save someone, then it's permissible to break the prayer and to go help them. But Sheikh Falah Ismaili mentioned, for example, if somebody has a seizure, then that doesn't mean everybody in the masjid breaks their prayer and starts crowding around. One or two people or three or four people around him, they can break their prayer, help him, take him to the hospital, but everybody else carries on. Doesn't mean that everybody breaks their prayer then. Just the three or four who need to stop their prayer to help him, then they can do so. So if you need to help someone in that way, to save someone in that way, 
you fear that they're going to burn themselves or harm themselves or die as a consequence, then it's permissible to break the prayer in that instance to save that person. But otherwise, it's not permissible just to leave the prayer and break it and do something and go here and go there. If your wudu breaks, then okay. Or if you need to go save someone for some reason, then okay. وَاخْتُلِفَ فِيمَا لَوْ كَانَ الْمَرْءُ يُسَلِّ نَافِلَةً وَأُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ الْمَفْرُوضَةِ فَهَلْ يُشْرَعُ لَهُ قَطْعِ الصَّلَاةِ وَالْجَوَابَ أَنَّ هَذِهِ مَسْأَلَةً خِلَافِيَّةً فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ أَجَازَهَا وَمِنْهُمْ لَمْ يُجِزْهَا Then there's the issue of if somebody is praying an optional prayer. You come into the masjid, you're praying for example, Tahrit al-Masjid. And the imam starts the prayer. You're still in the middle of your optional prayer. What do you do? Do you break that prayer and come and join the imam or not? Many of the scholars, they say that's what you do. The shaykh says it is different about. Some of the scholars say, no, you can't just break your prayer. But many of the scholars, they say in that instance, you do break your prayer. That optional prayer. Because they say the fard prayer, that is fard. That is the one that you are supposed to be in. Your optional prayer is optional. You cannot give your optional prayer precedence over the fard prayer. So many of the scholars, they say in that instance, if you are praying an optional prayer and the fard prayer starts, they do the iqama, then you can leave that prayer, stop it in the middle of it and come and join the fard prayer. Some of the scholars gave more detail. They said, if you are, for example, in your first raka'ah and you know you're still going to take a while before you finish and you might end up missing the first raka'ah of the fard prayer, for example, in that instance, break it and come. But if you're in your second raka'ah anyway and you're about to finish anyway, you're not going to miss anything from the fard prayer. You hear them starting the iqama. You know you can finish it this time. You have another few seconds, maybe another 10, 20 seconds, you know you can finish it. Then finish it and then join the prayer. So that's what some of the scholars say with regards to that issue. The Shaykh says, in summary then, وَالْخُلَاسَ أَنَّهُ لَا يَجُوزُ قَطْعُ الصَّلَاةِ إِلَّا لِسَبَبٍ شَرْعِ It is therefore not permissible to break the prayer except for some legitimate Islamic reason as some of the reasons that we have mentioned. The next hadith after that, حديث عن طلق بن علي رضي الله عنه قال قال رجل مسست ذكري أو قال الرجل يمس ذكره في الصلاة عليه وضوء فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا إنما هو بضعة منك أخرجه الخمسة وصححه ابن حبان وقال ابن المديني هو أصح من حديث بصرة وحديث بصرة عن بصرة بنت صفوان رضي الله عنها أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من مس ذكره فليتوضأ أخرجه الخمسة وصححه الترمذي وابن حبان وقال وهو أصح شيء في هذا الباب The first hadith of Talq ibn Ali رضي الله عنه he says that a man he said he said I touched my private parts my frontal private parts or he said that if a man touches his frontal private parts in the prayer, then does he have to go make wudu again? So the Prophet ﷺ said, no. Rather that is a part of your body. It's just a part of your body. You don't have to go make wudu again. That's one hadith. The second hadith says that the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever touches his frontal private parts then he must go and make wudu. So you have two hadith, which are apparently telling us 
different things. So how do we explain this? The first hadith then, firstly, the hadith of Talq ibn Ali, radiyallahu anhu, and Talq, he was a, a great companion from the people of Yamama, and he came to the Prophet ﷺ in the first hijrah, before the Prophet ﷺ built his masjid. He said that a man said to the Prophet ﷺ, I touched my front private parts. Or he said that if a man touches his front private parts in the prayer, does he have to make the wudu? The Prophet ﷺ said, no, that's just one of your body parts. You don't have to make wudu. Here the purpose is touching with your hand. An individual who touches his front private parts with his hand. Al-Baba'a meaning it's a piece of you. The Prophet said, no, that is just a piece of you. It's one of your organs, it's one of your body parts. It's just one of your body parts and one of your organs. There's no issue in that. فَكَمَا أَنَّ الْإِنسَانِ إِذَا مَسَّ رِجْلَهُ أَوْ يَدَهُ لَا يَنْتَقِضُ وُضُوءُهُ فَكَذَلِكَ إِذَا مَسَّ ذَكَرَهُ so in this hadith, it indicates that the Prophet ﷺ said, it is just one of your body parts. So just like if you touched your hand, your arm or your shoulder or your knee or your head, it wouldn't break your wudu. So if you touch your front private part, it's just another one of your body parts, it doesn't break your wudu. That's what this hadith indicates. وَهَذَا مِنْ بَابِ الْقِيَاسِ وَالتَّوْضِيحِ بَعْدَ قَوْلِهِ لَا وَهَذَا جَوَابٌ لَوْ اقْتَصَرَ عَلَيْهِ رَسَلَ كَانَ كَافِيًا and that is as a means of explanation, as a mean of comparison. That they are just body parts all over. And that is one of your body parts. If you touch it, it doesn't break your wudu. But then the Prophet ﷺ actually made it clear. And he said, La, it doesn't break your wudu. And if the Prophet had said that, that would have been sufficient anyway. It would have been sufficient. But then the Prophet ﷺ clarified it even more. And said, it's just one of your body parts. Because the Prophet ﷺ wanted to explain the reason why it doesn't break your wudu. And the reason is that. That this is just one of your body parts like your other body parts. That's why the Prophet ﷺ explained that too. To explain the reason behind saying that it doesn't have to, uh, it doesn't break your wudu. This hadith is narrated by Al-Khamsa. When they say Al-Khamsa, who is Al-Khamsa? Al-Khamsa is the Ashab al-Sunan. Abu Dawood, Al-Nasai, Al-Tirmadhi, Ibn Majah. And the fifth one is Musnad Al-Imam Ahmed. Regarding this hadith, they are the ones who narrated it. Ali ibn al-Madini, Ali ibn al-Madini, Ali ibn Abdullah ibn al-Madini, he was a great imam, hafiz, and many of the people of knowledge, they praised him and they mentioned his virtues from the great scholars of that time, great alim of that time. And he has books, many books he wrote in the sciences of hadith. He said that this hadith is the strongest thing in this particular field. In the issue of touching your private parts, this is the strongest hadith, he said. However, like we said, you have the second hadith. The second hadith, the hadith of Busra, who was a female companion, the daughter of Safwan, radiallahu anha, she said that the Prophet said, whoever touches his private part, the frontal private part, he has to make wudu. That is also narrated by the Khamsa. Abu Dawud and Asai, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, and Muslim Al-Imam Ahmed. Al-Imam Tirmidhi said that this is authentic, Ibn Hibban also, 
And Al-Imam Al-Bukhari said, this is the strongest thing in this area. This is the strongest opinion or strongest hadith with regards to this issue. So the hadith, the two hadith seem to be indicating opposite things. They seem to be indicating opposite things. Based upon that, there are differences of opinion on this issue. The first opinion, Al-Qawlu Al-Awwal, Anna Masad-Dhakari La Yanqadu the first opinion that touching the penis, the frontal private area, does not break the wudu. What's the evidence? The first hadith. The hadith of Talq ibn Ali anhu, where the Prophet said, no, it's just one of your body parts. Just like any other body part, if you touch it, it doesn't break your wudu. So based upon that, the first opinion they said is that, no, it does not break your wudu. And that is the opinion of Al-Imam Abu Hanifa and also one of the narrations from Al-Imam Ahmad فَكَمَا أَنَّهُ لَا يَنْقُضُ إِذَا لَمِسَ يَدَهُ أَوْ رِجْلَهُ أَوْ وَجْهَهُ فَكَذَلِكَ لَا يَنْقُضُ إِذَا مَسَّذَكَرَهُ And they said, just like if you touch your hand or your arm or your face, it doesn't break your wudu. That's another one of your body parts. If you touch it, it doesn't break your wudu. وَقَالُوا إِنَّهُ أَصَحُّ مِنْ حَدِيثِ بُسْرَ فَيُعْمَلُ بِهِ And they say, the ones who took this opinion, that this hadith is more authentic than the second hadith. So they say, therefore you act upon this hadith. والأصل يؤيده والأصل يؤيده لأن الأصل عدم النقض فيبقى على الأصل ويقدم حديث طلق على حديث بصرة. Also they said that the origin, the default remains. The default remains. If you have wudu, what is the default? That you are upon wudu, and your wudu doesn't break until some legitimate reasoning or evidence comes along. The origin and the default is you are upon wudu. So they say. The default is you are upon wudu. And touching the private parts, there is no clear evidence that proves it breaks your wudu. And this hadith, they say, is more authentic than the one that says it does break your wudu. And so they say it does not break your wudu. The second opinion, however, Al-Qawl al-Thani, Anna wudu. Obviously, the second opinion being that touching the private frontal region breaks the wudu. Amalan bi hadithi busra. Using the second hadith, the hadith of Busra, radiallahu anha. But if they're going to use the second hadith, which says that you have to make wudu if you touch the frontal private parts, then what do they say about the hadith of Talq? The first hadith where the Prophet said it's just one of your body parts. They say, Ajabu an hadithi Talq wa in kana sahihan. They answered, they responded, and they gave an explanation to the first hadith. Even though it's authentic, they said, "Annahu mahmulun ala ma kana fi awwal al-Islam." ثُمَّ نَسَخَهُ حَدِيثُ بُسْرَةَ They say that was at the beginning of Islam. Originally, if a person touched his frontal private parts, he didn't break the wudu. But then later on, in the later years, the new revelation came down that actually, if you touch them now, it does break your wudu. So they say the hadith which says that it breaks your wudu if you touch the front private parts. That abrogates the other one which says it doesn't. Everybody understand that? They say originally it was the ruling that if you touch the private parts, the front private parts, it doesn't break your wudu. But then years later or at some time later, the new revelation came down that actually it does break your wudu. And they say that's how you combine the two hadith. They say the first one it's authentic, no problem. But that was originally. The second hadith it came later 
and it abrogated that one and it said now that it does break your wudu. How do they know that the second hadith came after the first one? How do they know that? Because to say something, abrogate something, you have to prove that one hadith came after the other one. If you can't prove it, how can you say it abrogated? So they say that the first hadith it was narrated by who? Talq ibn Ali radiallahu anhu. وَهُوَ قَدِمَ قَدِمَ الْمَدِينَةَ فِي أَوَّلِ الْهِجْرَةِ قَبْلَ بِنَاءِ مَسْجِدِ رَسُولِ And he came to Medina right at the beginning of the emigration, before Al-Masjid al-Nabawi had even been built. Right at the beginning. وَحَدِيثُ بُسْرَ مُتَأَخِّرْ عَنْهُ And the hadith of Busra, it is a lot later than that. That was right at the beginning, but the hadith of Busra was a lot later. So if two hadith, they apparently oppose each other, and one of them is, and they are both authentic, and one of them is later than the other one, then it is possible to abrogate. If you are not able to combine between them, the first thing you should try to do is to combine between all of the narrations. Try to use them all if you can. If that is not possible, then one of the things you can do is abrogation. So here, this is what they said, that there is an abrogation. Some of the scholars though, did mention that it is possible to combine between them. There is no need to abrogate them. Some of the scholars said you can combine between them. They say, إِنَّ حَدِيثَ طَلْقْ مَبْنِيٌ عَلَى مَنْ مَسَّ ذَكَرَهُ مَعَ وُجُودِ الْحَائِلِ وَحَدِيثُ بُسْرَ مَحْمُولٌ عَلَى مَنْ مَسَّ ذَكَرَهُ مُبَاشَرًا مِنْ دُونِ حَائِلِ They say that the hadith of talq, which says that your wudu does not break if you touch the front private parts. They say that is only if you touch the front private parts with a barrier. Meaning there's some cloth, you're wearing some clothes. On top of the clothes, you touch the front private parts, that doesn't break your wudu. They say if you're wearing some clothes or you have some cloth or some other barrier, there is some other barrier between, you don't physically touch your hand to the private part. There's some barrier between you, some cloth, some clothing, something there. And you touch your private parts over that, cloth or barrier, then it doesn't break your wudu. They say that's what that hadith means. And the second hadith they say obviously means then, if you touch your private parts without a barrier, then it does break your wudu. So they say, look, you can combine them in that way. You can combine them in that way. That if you touch your private parts, the front private parts, but there is some barrier there, some clothing or something, then it doesn't break your wudu. But if you touch them directly, skin to skin, no barrier, then in that case it breaks your wudu. Uh, and they have an evidence. Al-Riwayah al-Ukhra. There is another narration of these ahadith. Man afla biyadihi ila dhakiri ila dhakarihi falyatawadda. Whoever takes his hand to his front private part, then he has to make wudu. Afla yani masahu biduni ha'il. Afla, the word used in this narration, this particular narration of this hadith, this particular version of this hadith, says afda, which means that you touch directly with your hand. But the shaykh says, the answer that we gave prior to this is better. The Shaykh says that 
The first opinion that we mentioned is better though. He says that opinion is better. That the hadith of Talq was at the beginning of Islam and the hadith of Busra was at the end and therefore it abrogates it. And so yes, originally it was okay, but then afterwards now the end ruling is if you touch the private parts, then that breaks the wudu. A person may ask the question, a person may ask the question, what is the reason? Why does touching the private parts break the wudu? Al-jawab, لِأَنَّهُ مَذَنَّةُ خُرُوجِ شَيْءٍ مِنْهُ Because that then leads to or is opening up the door to something exiting from that person. Something, some liquid exiting from the private parts of that person, which would break the wudu. So because it is a cause for that to occur or a possibility for that to occur, then for that reason, the wudu breaks. That possibility, just because of that possibility, the wudu breaks. That if you're going to touch your private parts, there's a possibility, liquid may exit from that, semen may exit, other things may exit. Then because of that possibility, then by you touching the hand, you have opened up the door to that possibility. So for that reason, the wudu breaks straight away. That is one of the reasons the scholars have mentioned. So basically the shaykh says that the second hadith is stronger. Al-Imam al-Bukhari, he took that opinion too. And they say that the hadith is stronger than the other hadith and that it came later than the other hadith. And so the bottom line with that issue is that touching the frontal private parts, it breaks the wudu. If a man touches the frontal private parts, it breaks the wudu. Also there's an extra benefit the shaykh mentions. When the person in the second hadith... Uh, in the first hadith, when a person asks somebody a question, we mentioned this benefit before. When a person asks somebody a question, you answer that question, if you are able to do so and you have the knowledge of it. But also you can give them additional information that they did not ask about. To fulfill the benefit, to complete the benefit to them and to get that understanding to be perfect and to be good. Where did the Prophet do that? In the first hadith. The person said if a person touches his front private parts, does he break his wudu? The Prophet said no. That could have been enough. But then he added on to it extra information. He said because it's just the body part like your other body parts. That was a reasoning, an extra piece of information. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said, Sallam, no. Full stop. That's the answer, isn't it? That's the answer. No, it doesn't. Full stop. But then additional knowledge was given, the reasoning behind it, extra information to get you a better understanding of the issue. Because it's just a body part like the other body parts. Where did we cover that point before? The very first hadith. Remember the very first hadith. In that hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he told them that the seawater is permissible to use. It is pure and it is purifying. But then he added the information, that the dead animals, you can eat them as well. Because the sailors, when they go out into the ocean, that's something useful to them. Useful information that the animals from the sea, you can take them and eat them too. So that's a benefit to be taken from this. That the Prophet ﷺ, he would give that extra information if it was required or if it was going to help the person to understand the issue. We'll have to start the next section next time. There are two ahadith in the next section. 
which is regarding vomiting and nosebleeds and other types of liquids that may exit from a person and also the meat of camels those are the issues we'll look at next time do they break your wudu or not nosebleeds or other types of bleeds uh, vomiting uh, eating the meat of camels that will be looked at in next lesson insha'Allah if they are from the nullifiers of the wudu or not and the evidences etc